gives me the creeps. The strangeness is increasing. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only podcast to know that you aren't sated until you are quaded. I am Jeb Lund, and I am here from my sister from another mother who's suffocating in an Earth spaceship, Sarah D. Bunting. Fine. I'll do it my way. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi. Take a breath. How you doing? Good. It's been a minute. It's been exactly one week since the last episode. Nothing has transpired. Nothing. Not one thing. No equipment changes, no life changes, no geographical changes. Everything's fine. We've just been busy terraforming. No problem. (laughs) I I sense then that you would like to address a little pod business. No. (laughs) Well, I I have an update for it. Uh, Have you been checking out what's going on in the Denisance? (laughs) No. You? No, because it has been 444 days since the last episode. So wow. I, I don't think it's it's going to happen. It has not been 444 days for us. But yes, you're right. Some things have happened. I, I moved a thousand miles again. I did not like my recording conditions up there. I thought the room was too airy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't really have a ton to report. Okay. You want to do this movie then? Sure. All right. So we watched... 2007's Battle for Terra, which uh, Dennis Quaid is in. That's why we watched it. That's the only reason. It is. Shall I go ahead and do a plot summary? Oh, please. Okay. Hundreds of years in the future, I didn't write down how long. The people of New Terra have manatee-like flappers instead of legs, and they fly through the air like they're swimming through the ocean and live in harmony with nature. But they're not people. They're aliens. Or at least we think of them as aliens. For them, they're at home. They belong there. And that spells trouble when the human race shows up and decides that New Terra is actually humanity's new home. Mala, Evan Rachel Wood, is a new Terran who loves technology and always gets into adventures with her boyfriend, Sen, Justin, I'm a Mac, Long, to the disapproval of her father, Rovin, Dennis Quaid. The adventure of a lifetime begins for her when human general Hemmer, Brian Cox, sends affable human pilot Lieutenant Jim Stanton, Luke Wilson, and company down to conquer New Terra. Mala outduels Jim in the air and winds up rescuing him from a crash site before he asphyxiates, and in no time, she and Jim's helper robot Giddy, played by David Cross, figure out how to build a local atmosphere for Jim. Unfortunately, Sen rats her out for aiding an attacking enemy, and she, Jim, and Giddy escape, discovering a secret cache of Terrian technology hidden from their bucolic and agrarian Newterran society. The gang winds up on the Earth ship to search for Mala's father after he's been abducted by the Earth fighters, and there are tests of loyalties and some asphyxiating. And then we're back out into the climactic battle where General Hemmer seeks to suffocate every Newterian to death by using terraforming technology to make the planet permanently breathable only to humans. Will reason, love, and environmental stewardship win out over imperial rapacity, greed, and military-grade slaughter? I won't spoil it, but I think you're going to be pretty satisfied or not. Sarah, were you? Satisfied? Yes, by the film. Yes. I mean, you have to grade on a couple of curves. First of all, this is animation. Mm -hmm. And it's for children, I think. Although... There were a couple of times in my notes where I was like, is this for kids? Yeah. And it was also in 3D. Like, I think it was made in 2007, but it wasn't released or distributed until 2009. I'm a little unclear on the timeline. I'm definitely clear on the capital I issues 
in play. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a as a watching experience on one's computer or non 3D television set, kids ask your parents, it's just eh. You're not getting the full effect of the visuals that I suspect were breathtaking in a theater. Mm -hmm. I was not in a theater, and there were a lot of lines like this. Why? Why are they doing this? I, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't supposed to be this way. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be exactly that way, which is a lot of sort of broad War of the Worlds cliches in the writing that were matched mm. by a lot of visual cliches or not cliches but like what seemed like references to other sci-fi and animated properties like giddy looks like wally mm. in the face quote unquote there's a sort of visual reference to contact of all things maybe since i'm the only person who kind of likes that movie i see references to contact where there are none but i felt like i saw a reference to contact um this was tiresome. I'm not mad, but I'm glad I don't have to watch it again. <laughs> what about you? I was glad to see something that didn't look like Pixar and mm. didn't look like Disney. I was sad to see, too, though, certain tropes that did make it in anyway. Mm. Um, but I was surprised at the tone of it in some parts, probably precisely the ones that aren't meant for kids necessarily, or maybe would be hard to digest if you're a kid. And I, I liked that they tried. Um, I think you and I are, are going through a similar process to the contemporary reviews, which tended to be like, well, this is a B. <laughs> How yeah. they got to the B was, uh, you know, not necessarily the same process for everybody, but kind of echoing what you said and, and a little bit of what I felt. Ebert gave it three stars out of four. And one of his salient points here was all leads to war, which was a disappointment to me because a film that offers invention and originality reduces itself essentially to just another aerial battle with, however, some nice touches. Are kids thought to require combat at the end? Could they perhaps be trusted to accept a character based resolution? And then also on the kind of ambivalent positivity, Scott Tobias from the AV Club writes, on one level, it's a downmarket Star Wars-inspired shoot-'em-up for kiddies. On another, it's a radical alien invasion story where the humans are the aliens. Battle for Terra cheats a little on the endgame, but the stakes are raised exceptionally high for the final firefight, and audiences may find themselves surprised to be rooting against their own kind. For a movie with on-the-cheap CGI and a wisecracking R2-D2-C3PO clone, mm. it's still awfully heady. What neither of them mentioned because they couldn't, because that's not how time works, is the one thing that it reminded me a lot of was a movie that came out afterward, which is like, oh, this is animated Avatar for kids. Yes, yes, exactly. Although, did it come out? When did Avatar come out? I think 2010. Okay. It, it was one of the last gasps of a sort of like neutrally weird internet, the, the whole swath of kids on Twitter who were like, I wish I could be Navi. I wish I could go live on the Navi planet. I know that I was born, actually, trans-avatar Navi. That was, I, I really enjoyed that. But uh, <laughs> knowing now what I, I know about this movie, I wish I had been in there mixing it up and be like, do you think, are you sure you're not from Battle for Terra? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure you're not a, a sperm with um, forehead jewels? You're not a cross between like a cricket and a manatee? Yeah, that's exactly it. It really is Jiminity. <laughs> cricketness um this is a fucking ton of star firepower too in the cast yes dennis quaid gets i think four lines total 
His delivery on three of them is outright terrible. We'll we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. But this is like a lot of big stars. And, you know, maybe at the time, some of these stars weren't quite as bright or weren't shining in the same way. Like, I think this was Brian Cox's I'll go to the opening of an envelope period. But yeah. there's like no non-names in here to yeah. the point where the great Phil Lamar, who vo- has voiced just about everything but Samurai Jack is the one I remember him for. He is like fabric merchant. Yes. <laughs> there are people that are like tadpole number three or whatever that you're like him. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's doing the best they can, but there's a lot of like, I don't know, Davy, like explaining of the issues. And then yeah. at the same time, there's this like prisoner's dilemma scene where General Brian Cox is like, you have to decide who's going to suffocate, choose wisely, which is like, do you hope this goes over a six-year-old's head? Do you explain it to them? I don't like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Unless this was intended as like the grown-ups get stoned by the 3D glasses and they weren't expecting kids to be in the theater, but I don't think that was the deal. I, you know, I, I think the kind of not Rube Goldberg, but the nobody is actually physically doing the torturing aspect mm. uh, gives it sort of like an adventure serial quality in the same way that like in an Indiana Jones movie, you know, you're going to see the all right, if you don't get out of here, the lava is going to pour down and get you. Right. Um, Got it. That, you know, in like an Indiana Jones movie, you're like, oh, of course a kid can see that. <laughs> It's, you know, it's a it's a murderous cult that yanks hearts out and you're being dropped down to the law. It's fine. And then here we're like, well, that's problematical. Um, I don't know. I, it, it feels like, you know, a kid probably has seen something that's scary and the animation definitely makes it less immediate. But what I thought about that scene and sort of when they talk about being from a pacifist society is that like they throw this like really severe thing in there and they let it be a catalyst. But there's never really an explanation necessarily of like why it would be a catalyst for these people it's just sort of a plot point that's in there and it's very striking like there there are decisions made in this by these characters where i'm not really sure why they're making it the plot hasn't made me go yes that's naturally the next move for them and you know maybe it's because they're trying to cram a lot of ideas in there but that just seemed to be kind of a systemic issue of they're not really going back and elaborating on what's going on here uh for instance you know they go to this abandoned you know nearly subterranean down on the snow level sort of cache of portraits of i guess previous warlords from their society and existing you know still being manufactured technology and we're just sort of told like oh well we you know we're all elders and we have your best interest at heart so we just didn't tell you about this like well is there anything else like were you are you manufacturing until you get to a certain amount do you have a plan for these guys do they just sit here the entire time like is there a point at which you would decommission this force um yeah who's is in this charge like of it? mount weather where there's like a functioning replica of the united states government yeah and also like a sparkling burgundy fountain <laughs> yeah, and, and if it is like why aren't you telling the people who are getting bombed by the earthlings like why aren't you telling them to run and hide down here like what isn't this its point so if I'm going to have a quibble about the asphyxia part, it's less like I think a, a kid is going to go like, oh, I can't watch that because they're by that point, they've probably been through a couple like Rube Goldberg comic villain. Like, here's how this person's going to get crushed by the, you know, eight ton block moments. And this feels like of a piece. But in the 
you know, the stakes of the plot that the filmmakers obviously want adults to process, like, give me some more dots between A and D. May I recommend B and C, please? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, and also I have to remind the listeners that generally I tend to think that kids are as fragile and high strung about random shit in movies as I was at that age, which is generally speaking, I would hope not true. Yeah. Well, at least ones now. I mean, they've, they've seen so many deaths on YouTube by now, so they're fine. (laughs) Jesus. Gives a whole new meaning to unboxing, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have, I don't have much else to say. Like I, I think that it almost gets there in terms of trying to marry this high-minded content on the page and the execution of the 3D and the, you know, animation battle sequences and whatnot on the screen, there were, there are a couple of shots that I'm like, that must've been a fucking knockout in the theater with the goggles. But I mean, B feels a little strong to me, but I am prepared to rate this if you are. Sure. What was your rating? Grading on a curve for the 3D mm-hmm. and, you know, an experience that I did not have, but I'm willing to give the movie credit for. It's still only a four for me. Okay. I felt like this was, I, I didn't want to go as high as seven, but I wanted to go like around six and a half because wow. I wanted to give it credit for being above average in terms of its thoughtfulness and for how much they tried to do. Uh, but, you know, grading on that curve, like it's a kid's movie. Yeah. Uh, So, all right, maybe I'm quibbling that the transitions in reasoning are not as explicated and subtle as I would like, but also it's fine for what it's trying to do, you know, and the audience it's appealing to. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's above average. It's not yet rounding third toward home. I don't want to get it to like the seven and a half territory. But, you know, if given the choice between this and like so much kids animation fair is just like we had an idea and we could do it in a month you know <laughs> or yeah. we could do it in in a year um i i want to <laughs> give it a, a little more props uh for being fair you know challenging and thoughtful and like in moving in spite of the fact that there were moments like that clip he played where i'm like you can try this one again <laughs> <laughs> there'd be other ones where i was like oh that's that's genuinely affecting you got me the big eyes worked yeah Yeah, I mean, it does have its moments. I don't think it has quite enough moments for me to, you know, make sure I can stream this at all times, but it was all right. And, you know, if anyone saw it in the theater and wants to let us know if it was as much more awesome as I think it probably was, let us know. Well, Ebert's quibble in his review was the 3D gets in the way, and I wonder if it was one of those ones that was filmed originally not as 3D and then got upconverted for some scenes, maybe. Um, because he, he really felt like it, it was an overall negative. And I can see that because it didn't occur to me that it was 3D until I went back and read the production notes. Yeah, yeah. Same. So I think you're probably right. And it was reverse engineered for 3D later because usually there are those like fucked up kerning scenes where you can tell <laughs> that it's just yeah. not you know there's no thrust yeah and then there's the or the the random scene like in uh jaws 3 where you're like there's the arm it's <laughs> severed and it's in the water and they just hold on it for a little bit okay <laughs> oh god jaws 3d's ears are burning right now they're floating in the water right in front of you i just don't want it to feel forgotten it's been I, seasons i don't think that <laughs> We are here to keep the Jaws 3D flame 
alive. Speaking of the thing that uh, Jaws 3D in this movie has in common, Dennis Quaid, it is time for Quaid qua Quaid, measuring the quaidity of his performance. I'm getting from you. I have an image in my mind. It's of a low score. Am I, am I correct? Is that well, a Well, <laughs> Jeb Rack the Amazing. Yes, it is. Let's hear a clip. One time. It will be whatever the elders tell us it is. I bet I could see what it is. I bet I could make something to help me look closer. Mala, you know that's forbidden. But why? It wouldn't hurt anybody. Inventions that are not approved by the elders are against our teachings. Then maybe our teachings are wrong. Mala, go to your room right now. I understand why he was cast in this at this time. This is sort Mm -hmm. of, we're in a kind of peak Dilf Quaid period. So he's also going to be cast. BDE, big dad energy. Yes, correct. But, you know, not everyone makes the adjustment to voice acting without a little help. And Mm -hmm. he didn't get any. Like, I don't blame him. But this was a first take, and they didn't help him at all. He just sounds very in his own head and not able to react and make the adjustment to not being in a live-action movie. And even in this climactic scene, which I suspect was like just him in some studio in Burbank, like this... uh, Well, I'll just play the clip. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's not good acting. Like, I get that they had to pick the sort of um, the take with the densest timbre so that he would be heard over all the pew, pew, pew. But, yeah. okay, it's a kid's movie and he's not the point of it and 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 and. But this is not, this is not good. And it's not quady. Like, I think even as a, in a dad role, it's off brand. Yeah. Did you enjoy this quadosity? <laughs> I felt like he almost wasn't even there. And it reminded me actually of a lot of the complaints and comments that I remember reading back when movies like Ants mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it were becoming all the rage uh, of voice actors who are like, why are you just casting Hollywood people to do voice acting? It's a completely different kind of acting. It requires a different energy and a different focus. And, you know, also this is a time to play around with your voice as an instrument instead of casting somebody so that their neutral voice is something that people in the audience go, oh, I know that guy. That's James Garner. Right. And Quaid absolutely fulfills every sin in that prophecy. The only real benefit that you're getting to having Dennis Quaid do this voice is somebody in the audience saying, that's Dennis Quaid. Yeah. And you're right about like, it sounds like he was just sitting down with the script uh, in front of a mic somewhere in Burbank instead of doing what you need to do, which is like voice acting is full body acting. I mean, you really do kind of like need to figure out how you're embodying the space, you know, so it translates that energy translates into your voice. And if you're just sitting there reading like you expect, well, all that's going to be done is I'm going to be heard. You're going to get heard. And that's all you're going to get. So you didn't have anything that was recognizably like a quadism or, you know, a part of what we think of as like the ur quadity of rascaliness or mm-hmm. libidinousness. So you don't have that. You don't have anything that he does well when he's not doing that, which is not the baby voice, but a little vulnerability and exhaustion. 
And instead, it's just sort of like somebody being parentally mad when they've never heard somebody be parentally mad before. They've only read descriptions of it. So he's saying these very familiar dad things, but it's not even coming through and like, that's not even his dad voice. He's not even using his own dad voice, I can tell. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like a one and a half, it's better than, you know, he got the words right. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, if if he'd fucked up the words, then it would have been a one. I don't know. I like. I, I, am I being uncharitable there? Or? I already had him at a one and a half. So, so I. Okay. I mean, then we both are. Like, you can't see him. There's no wolf grin. There's none of that. Like Remy Hipcock. There's nothing. This is first takey. Like, this is everything that happens when you have not quite cast him correctly. That can go. A couple of ways neither of them is especially good and this is that yeah i mean i don't know if he does i don't know what we're gonna get to later in terms of his voice acting but you know hopefully someone took him aside and was like this is a different skill set and you actually have to practice this craft differently but yeah this was not this is not a good outing for him but you know net again still not mad Next time on Quaid in Full, like every time, smart people. (laughs) In the meantime, fire all weapons at the nearest father figure in your life and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Or get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? How about you take our breath away and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Turn around and go home. <laughs> <laughs>